Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast, Justin Cuthbert and Julian McKenzie. We are in the throes of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. It really is the best time as we get into these really critical games down the stretch. Now, it's a Monday, which is different for us. Usually we talk on Sundays, but I guess we got to get used to being 24 hours later because Zone Time, which you host on Yahoo Sports, is one day later this week as well. So everything's been thrown out of whack a little bit here this week, uh, but it's the playoffs. So we're just reading and reacting and reacting to news that goes beyond the playoffs with a couple crazy stories in the NHL today. One finished and another one developing. Uh, we'll get into Barry Trotz and Pierre Maguire a little bit later. But Julian, first, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. Could you, could you imagine the NHL draft lottery is what throws our shows out of whack? I'm half kidding. It's, it's not completely the truth. Something I mean, else. It, it's it's going to be big in your market for sure. There's other things going yeah. on as well. But, uh, you know, we're, we're balancing quite a few things right now. So it's great. You know, Monday, love to see you on a Monday. This is fantastic. Yeah, you know, this is, a, this is actually quite a, kind of pleasant, you know, just... With all the, uh, you know, normally we see each other on the Sunday. It's like calm and chill in the morning. You can watch NFL football after or maybe the mm. Premier League game on. On the Monday, it's just kind of like in the hectic, like chaotic day, that, especially on a day like today with all the news that has popped up. This is kind of like a, not like a cone of silence, but like a moment of serenity, you know, familiar face in the, in the weird tropical storm. That is the NHL news cycle. So I appreciate uh, seeing your face uh, as we do this on Zoom. You're right. It is kind of a low stress situation we have on Sundays because everyone pretty much puts down their weapons, puts down their cell phones. I guess cell phones are weapons in the hockey media world. Uh, And they don't, nothing really happens Sunday morning other than us talking about hockey, which is great. Today, we're navigating a couple other things, some, you know, dismissals, rumored dismissals. Lots of stuff going on, but it doesn't matter. We trudge forward. And uh, if we're going to talk about round one of the Stanley Cup playoffs so far, we have to begin with the Leafs and Lightning. I'm sorry, Julian. I know you're a huge Wild and St. Louis Blues fan, and I'll let you <laughs> inform me on that series uh, moving forward here. But I think we got to start with the same old Leafs and the same old Lightning. Uh, in Sunday's game four, the Tampa Bay Lightning do what they always do. They responded and kind of humiliated the Maple Leafs to e- even their series at two games apiece. It was a no-show for Toronto. It was a successful trip to Tampa, though, according to their head coach, Sheldon Keith. Uh, What's your reaction to what happened on Sunday night between the Bolts and Buds? I have a question. 
you're calling, you're saying same old Leafs, same Lightning. I'm not mm-hmm. even going to focus too hard on the fact that coming into the playoffs, you said these Leafs look different. And a lot of people were saying the Leafs look different. Let's say Toronto wins game four of that series and takes a 3-1 series lead back home on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Are we still saying the Leafs are different? What are we saying about the Leafs at that point? Are we really going to uphold? Let's, I'm sorry. I don't believe for a second that if the Leafs were up 3-1 and won game four, that everyone would just change this narrative and be like, you see, I told you these Leafs are different. The, I told you these Leafs are built for the playoffs and all these other positive superlatives. I know, having done a show with Omar as long as I have, mm-hmm. and you partially as well, enough people would have been like, all right, y'all got to show me something beyond 3-1. There's a part of me that looks at the Leafs being tied 2-2 here as a good thing because 3-1, we know how toxic <laughs> that term is in the Toronto Maple Leafs community. And and look, they could, they could make it easy on themselves if they have the 3-1 series lead and win in game five. But look, we're not from stupid town here. We know how hard the Leafs make it on themselves. Oh, yeah. We well, have, yeah, you could say they made it hard on themselves with, with the way they came out in game four, but best of three now, an opportunity for them to go back home, at least win game five, make it three, two, then they have to go back to Tampa. The, the realities are a little different. I don't know if I'm ready to say it's same old Leafs yet. They're just kind of in this weird middle ground where they haven't been able to take full momentum of this series. And, and the Lightning are showing that if you knock them down to the mat, they can get back up and battle back. They're a battle-tested Stanley Cup champion team. Of course, they're going to be in a situation like this. It would have been much more shocking if they had rolled over and died after like game three and four and lost in a sweep or something. This is a Toronto Maple Leafs team that at their best moments, they've really impressed. They just need to show it for games five, six, maybe seven if they need to. That's how I think of this Toronto Maple Leafs team. But the Tampa Bay Lightning, I mean, just... They're really good. And if you're going to knock them down, they are going to get back up. Okay, so maybe not same old Leafs, although I think there are some uh, indications of that. But same old Lightning for sure, right? Okay, so 16-0 and after a loss in the last three postseasons, basically un- un- impossible to back into a corner. You cannot put the Lightning in a position where they are down multiple games in a series. It is virtually impossible so them responding is same old lightning same old leafs in the fact however that they've had opportunities to extend series leads to pull ahead yes they got up two games on the montreal canadians but they are now one and eight in the austin matthews era when leading a series that only victory came i guess in game four uh versus the montreal canadians last year right um so they've had their issue wow They've had their issues, obviously, with trying to take advantage of an advantageous situation, an advantageous situation being leading a series and having not a free role, but the opportunity to bury an opponent. They simply can't do it. They are the opposite of the Tampa Bay Lightning in that regard. When they have an opportunity to do something, they can't do it. When the Lightning need to do something, they do, in fact, do it. Um, but it is the path to two, two. I think that is kind of, uh, worrisome because yes, the Leafs have missed those opportunities, as I mentioned, but it seems like Tampa's figuring this out more and more as, as we go along. And I mentioned that I thought it could be Leafs early and I think it could be lightning late. And 
really the Leafs being up 2-1 provided that exact scenario where they had the opportunity to put this away, to go up 3-1. And I guess that's not putting it away because it's still the Leafs and it's still the Lightning. But going up 3-1 with a chance to win at home would have been a huge, huge thing for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But for some reason, they didn't have half as much as the intensity, not even half, a third, a fifth, a fraction of the intensity that Tampa brought into that game four, and it cost them. And I think the one thing that really stuck out beyond William Nylander not wanting to go into the corner with Eric Chernak and John Tavares continuing to do nothing at even strength and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner having nothing for the Braden Point Anthony Sorelli line was that sort of satisfied response from Sheldon Keefe about, hey, we did our job. We got the split. Now we have home ice advantage back. I just don't think that I think that was a terrible look and I'm a fan of Sheldon Keyes, but him being or trying to spin a, uh, a belief that this was mission accomplished in Tampa Bay after blowing yet another chance to take control in a series. I couldn't believe my ears. I mean, I, I look, I think for this Toronto Maple Leafs team, they're clearly trying to go off any positive vibe right now. And let's be real. I think if you asked a lot of people before this series started, and maybe you don't talk too much about the context of each of these games, but I think if you talk to a lot of Leafs fans and maybe the Leafs themselves, if they had a 2-2 split after the first four games of the series against the defending champions, they would take that split. So I think they're kind of looking at it from that vantage point. But yeah, I think with the way that the Leafs have won these games that they won in the series, they didn't just win. They flat out dominated the Tampa Bay Lightning and had people wondering if they were on their last legs. So I can totally understand there's some frustration there because they did have their opportunities to do it. But I, I'm looking at it from the other side in that a 2-2 split against Tampa Bay Lightning, there could there are worse situations the Leafs could have put themselves in. And again, they have home ice advantage for game five and they have an opportunity to close it out in game six if they win game five. They just need to make sure they don't lose game five because you're right the Leafs are the 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 lightning are figuring it out as they're going along and I'm looking a lot at those point totals from Matthews and Marner I mean they got hot early they 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 looked really good in the games where they were supposed to look good Mm -hmm. but if the lightning shut them down in game five it it brings a bad omen for game six yeah win or lose I think for the Leafs in game five I don't I don't think they have a chance to win game six honestly Um, because I think as the lightning have as we've both mentioned here figured out some things in the series i think home ice when they have it um benefits them to a huge huge degree because we've seen in this series you mentioned austin matthews and mitch marner anthony sorelli and Braden point have shut them down like we mm-hmm. it, it was another reminder this year or it has been in these four games that superb defensive play i.e what phil Deneau did last year and what Braden point and anthony sorelli can do it shuts down great offense and it doesn't help Austin Matthews that there's so many so many special teams minutes that takes him out of his five-on-five rhythm. But those two players, when tasked with the matchup of Matthews and Marner, are going to be able to shut them down. So where does that leave the rest of the matchups? Well, it leaves John Tavares to go up against the Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov line. And I am taking Stamkos and Kucherov over John Tavares and William Nylander every day of the week right now. John Tavares has done absolutely nothing. In this series, he is the second highest paid player in this series, and he looks like maybe the 15th best player in the series. He's been dreadful. William Nylander hasn't done much himself, and I wouldn't be putting those two together on the same line again in this series. But they they have no chance the way it's going right now in that matchup, which leads you to the third line 
And I think Toronto's third line can outplay Tampa's third line. But how much is that going to be reflected in the scoreboard when David Kampf is what David Kampf is? A great player, a difference maker for the Leafs, but not a guy who can give you more than one goal in a game. If you're, if, if you're looking for more than a one goal edge in that third line, it's just not going to happen. In the fourth line, we know Toronto's fourth line has been ineffective. And when they have it going, Tampa's line can be a needle mover. So they have to, the Leafs can't really pick up matchups other than special teams action to take advantage of in Tampa, but they can control the matchups in game five and in game seven. So it looks to me like they have to win those two. What are you seeing from John Tavares? Because this is a guy that people like to handle with kid gloves a little bit in this market. For some reason, yeah. he doesn't get the the blame that others do. Uh, listening to radio and and uh, the online commentary, Tavares is getting a lot, but Matthews is getting just as much, and Nylander is getting shelled as well. Like it really is on the second line to do its job, and it hasn't. I, I think John Tavares just sticks out so much for me right now as really the difference in the series and why Toronto hasn't been able to take advantage of what's been poor Andre Vasilevsky play and games that were up for grabs so far. Is it like an age thing? Is it a wear and tear thing? Is it a performance thing with John Tavares? I've seen other colleagues say that he gets a speed slow out there. Yeah, it has to be. Uh, Cause look for, for a series like this against Tampa Bay, look, we know a guy like Austin Matthews and, and Mitch Marner, they're going to be looked at as top, top line performers and the Leafs would are going to rely on them to perform, but they need their secondary guys to step up. And that's where guys like Tavares and William Nylander will come in. If Tavares is not effective, then that's not really going to help the Leafs. I'm surprised uh, that uh, you feel that not enough people are going hard at him. I feel like at different points throughout this year, just watching from a distance, I was just a bit surprised at how many people were going or coming at, at John Tavares Mm -hmm. because of the money that he was making and because of the production and like, it really just kind of reinforces the fact that like, you can't just look at points and, and in a, that, that a guy can get in the season and just exactly. kind of say that he had a successful year because John Tavares, in spite of everything going on, was still close to being a point of game player for the Toronto lot, Maple Leafs. A lot of points on the best power play in the league in the regular season. Yeah. But also he's getting paid 11 million a year. And I think a lot of people justifiably so have higher expectations for a player oh, yeah. making that much money and if he's on the decline at that salary, that is going to prove to be a massive albatross for Kyle Dubas to deal with in the future. And the fact that he's not really playing up to stuff in the playoffs, that's going to be a problem for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Again, a team that, you know, if as the Lightning figure the Leafs out, and if they shut down Marner and Matthews even more, you have to point the finger at Tavares. You have to point the finger at Nylander. Everyone was saying last year, oh, well, the Leafs would have won that series if they have if they had a healthy John Tavares, they have John Tavares now, and he's not proving to be effective. So yeah. I don't, I don't know what the issue is. It's, it's not a good look when the $11 million forward is the one that the opposition is trying to pick on. Right. It's not good. It, and it's nope. not exactly, it's, you know, it's not hard line matchups. It's not like trying to catch him out there like you would with a fourth line, but John Cooper should have all the confidence in the world throwing Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov out against that line because they are faster. They are more dangerous. They are, you know, just so much more dynamic than what the John Tavares line can offer right now. And when I'm looking at what they have to do in game five, I I think you have to split Nylander and Tavares again, because they haven't shown all year long, really, that they've had this really rock solid connection. 
And I think you need to ask of more from your third line just because of the matchup. So if you drop Nylander back down with Camp, you have a defensively responsible line, but also one that can score goals and Nylander can do his individual thing as an individual. And then you have to insulate Tavares as much as possible and make that $11 million center a defensive center with, you know, maybe Mikheyev and Blackwell, maybe Mikheyev and Kasha, maybe Mikheyev and maybe Mikheyev and Engvall. If it gets to that point where you're just trying to make sure that you get a wash at even strength with John Tavares on the ice, if you get a better matchup with the top line and get some scoring, maybe from Nylander in that third line, maybe you have that opportunity. But as it stands now, Tampa can wipe John Tavares away from this, this series and make him a non-factor. If you can shut down Matthews and Marner, you're going to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. Does it make sense to also flip Nylander and, and, and Tavares in this scenario where you maybe put Nylander uh, on a, a, keep him on the second line and make that a, a primary scoring line. And then if you're on the theme of just trying to be more defensive, yeah. possibly if you just put Tavares on a third line, you get weaker matchups that way you will have the benefit of having those opportunities to pick the matchups you want having home ice for game five but i think the way you've explained it might be a little better i'm just wondering if that's also a possibility yeah i was actually wondering this exact same thing like how could you how could you sort of remove this from the equation but i think the reality is that john Tavares is the second line and john cooper will treat it as such right the second line is the lesser dangerous of the two scoring lines and therefore the line he'll want to get out to try and take advantage of if it is comp, like he, he wants to get Kucherov and stamp goes away from comp. So he's just going to treat it whether, whether you rank them or how you like put the players around it, you're still going to be trying to avoid camp with your talent. And you're trying to strike with your talent against John Tavares. That's really the reality of the situation. Uh, and I think the only way to sort of get away from that dynamic where it's one thing or the other is keeping Nylander and Tavares split because you can maybe get some scoring out of those Nylander minutes if they are, indeed separate uh it's a difficult difficult situation to at least find themselves in though i mean we're still what three four years left to john Tavares. i guess this oh would be three after this one so four more playoffs you would ex- you would expect including this one I, I, like i can't imagine it gets better right i can't imagine a scenario where he gains a step next year or is less likely to be picked on by a scoring unit it's uh, it's a difficult, difficult spot. And, you know, we talk about consequences, what might, de- what might come if the Leafs don't get past the Lightning. It's tough because it's the Lightning to the best team in the world, other than maybe Colorado. We'll talk about Colorado later. later. Mm-hmm. But, like, something has to change, but the real problem can't be solved because John Tavares, the captain, the $11 million player, he's not going anywhere. So it's, oh. it's tough, dude. Yeah, like, and it's not even just like, okay, we just kind of threw him in there, you know, because we were already good and we just want to be like the Golden State Warriors and just flex our muscles and that Kevin Durant. John Tavares was supposed to be the piece that took the Leafs over the top. You signed him for this very reason. You gave mm-hmm. him $11 million off of off the play that he's done and what he could still be. And he if he's not going to get any better than this, I mean... Yeah, of course the Leafs are going to be in a world of hurt with that. On top of the fact that if they don't win this playoff series, the expectations and the criticisms being thrown at them are also going to mount as well. Like, I, I look, they cannot lose this series or else big changes are going to happen to that core. I don't see if the Leafs somehow lose this series, like either Sheldon Keith 
or some mm. big piece in that core has to go. If, if Kyle Dubas is saying, yo, we're running it back next year. I mean, I can understand that, you know what? They went up against the Tampa Bay lightning, but they dominated them in some of those games. And there's still a chance they could lose. If they lose that series, like, yeah, you have to ask questions about how this roster is constructed and make moves based beyond that. It'd be different if, if the Leafs were just, I don't know, like if the series went a little differently, but the fact that they had those blowout wins early in the series against Tampa and failed to take advantage to your point you brought up earlier, like if you're Kyle Dubas, you have to do something to that core and maybe getting rid of Keith is the early, is the easiest, is the easiest decision. Uh, but I don't know if that's something that might even do. And I get that people might be hearing this and just think, man, we're making all these leaps to the Leafs, uh, possibly making changes, but the situation's a bit dire, I think. And I think it, I think the way the series has gone sort of reflects changes to come. Like stuff can't be the same for this team. 42 minutes at even strength in the series so far for John Tavares, three shots, 0.04 individual expected goals. His numbers actually improved from a five-on-five perspective, um, but he's still at a 44% Corsi, 0-2 in the goals in the goal differential. Uh, not good, not good numbers nope. uh, for someone who is anchoring the line that needs to be a difference um, for the Leafs. The other issue right now seems to be the defensive core. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sheldon Keefe has relied on Justin Hall for the last two games, taking Timothy Lilligren out of the lineup. What we saw from Lilligren and Giordano on the third pairing, once Giordano came aboard, very, very strong. Uh, But he seems to prefer the mistake-laden nature over of uh, Justin Hall over the maybe less than confidence-inspiring sort of performances that Timothy Lilligren can have. Uh, It cost them immediately in game four. It's very, very strange to me why Justin Hall is preferred over Timothy Lilligan right now. And that led to one of the better sound bites we're going to hear of the entire postseason with a reporter. We'll name him Steve Simmons, asking Sheldon Keefe directly why his, quote, worst defenseman was starting on the road in a game like that when he knew or they knew it was going to be so loud. Um, I'll just say this. I actually think it's it was a horribly framed question you can't editorialize when you present um your idea to a coach however it is a valid question i don't understand why justin hall was on the ice in that big of a moment like you know what's coming the third line is coming to try and put pressure on the defense and try to make something happen right away and you have in tj brody the defenseman that settles everything down available to you and yet they go with Justin Hall and Mark Giordano to almost give Tampa every possibility to make something happen on the first shift. Uh, obviously, you can't hide him the entire game, but in that moment, it was very strange, and I, and I think it was worth asking the question. Just should have done it differently, I guess. I, I agree with that. Like, We don't have the experience that Steve Simmons has in these locker rooms, but we both know we wouldn't ask a question like that. There's a way to frame it. So... I'm not going to say that Steve Simmons doesn't know what he's doing, but I definitely wonder if he meant to go as hard as he did because he should know better than to just ask a question straight up like that. But I mean, Hey, there's a sound bite and we're talking about it now. So maybe he got what he wanted. Uh, yeah. But the, the Justin Hall thing for what I've seen, you know, just 
he's not been that great of a defensive for the Leafs, especially this year. Uh, I don't know why Sheldon Keefe would, would put him in a situation essentially to fail. And if the Leafs lose this series, I feel like you're going to have to go back to that coaching decision as an absolute head scratcher for this team. Again, if they lose, because they could still win a winning game five. And this is how weird the series is. A winning game five changes the view and momentum completely. Oh, yeah. And just like no one's been able to, to get a firm handle on momentum uh, throughout this series. So one win will, will change that. But right now we're just focusing on Justin Hall and these mistakes. Like it's, <clears throat> it's a bit of a weird one from, from Sheldon Keith. Yeah, uh, it definitely is. I, I don't, I don't understand it. Um, it. It's not like, that's not the reason they lost. It obviously wasn't a great start. Things snowballed very, very quickly. I mean, it was three, nothing and the Leafs were shorthanded within eight minutes. And before the Leafs had really done anything worth uh, it's, you know, worth its weight and positivity like it, they mm. were awful they didn't do anything right for eight minutes so i guess that's cherry picking a little bit to pick on justin hall but i think it reflects larger issue which is that the difference i think b- between these two teams and as much as we just ragged on john Tavares, if he just goes out there and gives you a split at five on five against a top six line you you, you kind of have to just take it because that's what anthony and sorelli and Braden point are trying to do They're just trying to get a split against austin matthews so split, split in the top six, maybe split in the third pair. And those fourth line, obviously Tampa's have been, has been better, but like really you can see a scenario where it's kind of just a wash up front, but where it's not a wash is the defensive core. I mean, Morgan Riley has looked awful at times in the series. Ilya Labushkin yeah. is having a really, really tough, difficult time in transition and staying out of the penalty box. Brody, as I mentioned, is always really, really good for the Leafs. Jake Muzzin has maybe exceeded expectations, but that third pairing whether it is Hall or Liljegren, it looks like a sore spot for this team. And when you look at Tampa's defensive core, you don't see those same things. You see difference makers. You see players that are pretty comfortable in the situation that they're in. The biggest difference could be the goaltending, but it hasn't played out that way. Both Campbell and Vasilevsky have struggled at times. Vasilevsky maybe uncharacteristically poor at some points in this series. But if everything else is a wash, it might just come down to the performance of the defensive core and really the depths of the defensive core and Justin Hall starting playing everything sort of stands out as a real weak link in the overall structure of the Maple Leafs and why that was underscored, accentuated, started by Sheldon Keefe. Again, worth asking the question because it didn't make much sense. There's no way he plays game five, right? Considering I don't know. He four. seems to. And then where does pride come in? Because you were just questioned about this. Are you going to be like, yeah, he was right. He's my worst defenseman. I'm going to take him out. Or yeah. do you go the other way saying, no, he's going to be good for us on, in game five. So uh, not that I it serves think, as a vote of confidence that I think that, Justin Hall, essentially. Not that I think that question will make any difference in anyone's decision-making, but like, I just don't think Justin Hall should be playing. I mean, he's shown already through that one game. He probably isn't the best idea to play him, but uh, yeah, you're right with the defensive core, with the way the Leafs look there. The Lightning, I think, on paper already might have had a, made a case to have had a better defenseman. I mean, they put in Zach Bogosian, who knows a thing or two about playing for the Leafs, and I think he hasn't looked that bad with, with the Lightning since he's gotten in. Uh, the Leafs have been just – it's a bit of a tough one with with their defense, man, and, and the way Justin Hall is. Look, they cannot have him – if they're going to have him back in the lineup, he can't play that badly again, but it's really tough for them for game five. Yeah, that Leaf defense, of course, not uh, forcing lightning forwards to making business decisions like William Nylander made, uh, not going into the corner with Eric Cernak in that second period. Uh, Justifiably so, that's going to make its rounds. It's going to be talked about. It wasn't an overly taxing shift for William Nylander. 
And I, I don't ever want to like inject myself in anything, but I've been on, on benches, on hockey benches where it's not going well. And someone just mails in something and the reaction is always the same. It's like, for God's sake, like, really? Yeah. Really? Try it. You got to at least give it that. Like do something. Yeah. It's uh, I I could see why the reaction from Eddie Ocek was what it was. And Keith Jones, uh, they did a really good job at picking up on that. Uh, It's not a good look. That's not winning playoff hockey as much as it really didn't matter. And uh, if he took a hit there, it wouldn't have changed anything about the game, but it's just, it's not a good look. And it's not, it's another example. One of many examples from that game, where the Leafs were just ready to meet the standard that the lightning uh, were willing to put out there. And again, if they win game five, we don't talk about it. We go yeah. back to, we go it's back to the flip, high flop, emotion. back and forth. That's it. We go back to the high emotions of how good the Leafs look. We go back to the high emotions of how the, the lightning don't look as good as they, as we thought they would. And the Leafs have what it takes to beat this team. That's just what's so weird about this series. And I know there are other ones sort of like it too, where one team hasn't completely grasped the momentum and run with it. But this, this series in particular, because of the focus attention, focus and attention brought to both these two teams, it has just been notably weird. I guess one pattern though, or one maybe disturbing trend if you're the Leafs is like, okay, they get opportunities early in series. And then when it doesn't work, it all kind of slips away. Right. So as much as it's been going back and forth, has it been that moment where they had that opportunity, they missed that opportunity and then it just goes completely south. I mean, we've seen that before. We saw that last year where they just could not rebound from the missed opportunity um, that they had. Uh, let's mm-hmm. go to some of the other series because we talked a lot about the Leafs and Lightning, justifiably so, as you mentioned. Uh, lots of two twos. We got a bunch of two ones tonight. I think they're all two one tonight. Uh, other than, trying to think. of course, Colorado and Nashville, which is yeah. over already. Um, but a lot of two twos. Basically, um, the same night that the Leafs are playing, the Kings and Oilers have battled to two two. The Wild and Blues have battled to two two, and the Hurricanes and Boston Bruins, despite Carolina having a huge advantage early, is also two two. Uh, of those two twos, Julian, is there one that stands out for you? And I think I might already know the answer. So the easy one in this one would be to say the wild blues because of the fact that I've hyped it up as much as I have. Uh, but you can say that's expected because that series is supposed to go seven. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be back and forth Minnesota looking as if they're the better team, St. Louis and the goal scorers that they have eventually stepping up as well. It's cool also to see Jordan Bennington insert himself into this series and gets himself his first playoff win since that 2019 playoff run. Uh, But I don't think that's necessarily the answer only because again, it was expected for them to go there. I think if I have to pick between one that stands out the most, it's the Canes Bruins series. Mm-hmm. I'll, we'll touch off on the Kings Oilers in a moment here because, you know, the Kings and the fact that they've evened up this series too, that is something that should not be taken lightly. But at least with the Kings and the Oilers and the Wild and the Blues and even the Leafs and the Lightning, there's, they've been trading wins back and forth. The Canes had a 2-0 series lead and we thought the Boston Bruins were going to be done and dusted, but they make a goalie change ahead of game three And now all of a sudden they've tied this series. And the thing we're talking about the most is the beef between Tony (laughs) D'Angelo and Brad Marchand as a major storyline in this series. Like that's the one that I think stands out to me the most. The Bruins have woken up. They made some changes throughout the lineup, even though they've, they've had to handle some, some injuries here and there. It's like, it's, it's a bit of an interesting situation for the Boston Bruins. The fact that they've been able to tie it and they got their mojo back from those home games 
and and Carolina, like they, I think they don't, I don't necessarily think they've played all that badly. It's just Boston has just kind of reared its ugly head and just kind of woken up in this series, I think. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they were able to switch a goalie and they've been getting some great performances from Jeremy Swayman, that has helped them in this series. That could also still go seven, though. Yeah, I mean, game seven, maybe likely for all three of those series, maybe all four. Yep. Maybe that's where the Leafs and Lightning are headed as well. But if I had to bet one to get there, it would be Carolina and Boston. I mean, I just feel like it's the most... I don't even know if it's the most evenly matched, but I feel like these two are just, you know, on par and ready to just throw haymakers back and forth. You mentioned Marshawn and Tony D'Angelo, basically like two magnets, like eventually they're going to find each other. Uh, And of course we saw uh, that play out in real time. Tony D'Angelo is now public enemy number one in Boston. Like he is maybe everywhere else as well. Like that's just the Tony D'Angelo way. Um, but, uh, this series is definitely building, 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 and building. And it feels like it's going to reach its its crescendo in a game seven type of feel. I'm honestly a little surprised that Boston got back into it. I I didn't come away particularly impressed from the first two games. And I thought at times it was there for the taking for Carolina to take that three, one series leader, maybe finish it in Boston. But of course they weren't able to do that. I am fascinated, though, by this Kings-Oilers series. I don't yeah. really know why. Uh, the Kings played outstanding in Game 4. I mean, I was so impressed by what they did after getting the doors blown off in Game 3 by Edmonton. I think they exploded for, what, eight goals or maybe seven goals. They were spectacular. They scored, I think, you know, they were going like 15-2 to two or something over the course of Games 2 and 3. I felt like that was over, but that... That Phil Deneau defensive responsibility, like it just permeated the entire group. They really stepped up and played extremely well in that game. Jonathan Quick, you can never really trust, but he brought it back all the way to 2014, uh, playing particularly well in front of that defensive structure. I feel like this is just two extremes, one really good defensive team, one brilliant offensive team, and they're just colliding into each other. It's It's been really fun to watch. I'm I'm concerned that the battle of Alberta, we might not get either party. It could be Dallas and LA in the second round. And uh, that would be a tough watch. Um, But I like, I I, I think this bodes pretty well for the Oilers that they're getting pushed the way they are, because this is a really difficult defensive challenge they're trying to get through. uh, And it's turning into a really good series as well. You know what else is, you know what else is also wild. So in each playoff series in the East, uh, Every team that has started off like on the road, like has either tied it or has put themselves in a position where they could win this series. Mm-hmm. So Boston down 2-0, they've they've clawed their way through. Pittsburgh has a series lead on the Rangers at 2-1. Uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning have tied the series. And the Washington Capitals, as we right. speak, have a series lead on the Florida Panthers. And if you want to take it out to the West, the Los Angeles Kings have tied their series. And the Dallas Stars have a lead. We're talking about six teams who have been to a Stanley Cup final, won a Stanley Cup, mm. and have been successful over the last decade or so. And while some of those are upsets, if they end up holding on and winning those series, because they're clearly not some of those same teams. Remember what I was saying before about the Pittsburgh Penguins and how I don't really want to see them go far because I want to see a lot of newer teams go? Can you imagine if all six of those teams make it to the second round? And just as when we thought teams like Carolina and the Rangers were going to usher in the new era of all these really good new teams it's a lot of the same usual suspects 
we are in very interesting territory with all of those teams and how they've been able to battle back in each of their respective series. And we could be seeing like, you know, some of the same teams we've seen dominate over the last decade kind of get back into it. We'll talk about the seas parting for Tampa Bay in search of a three-peat. If they can get by the Leafs and Washington upsets Florida, Pittsburgh takes out New York, um, Boston and Carolina. I mean, I think Tampa would like their chances against either, but all of a sudden it's just Colorado on the other side. It obviously bodes well for Colorado as well. But if all of those has-beens in some ways, and I say that with as much respect as I possibly can because that's not a necessarily endearing term, but if teams like Washington get past Florida, it's like just removing a hurdle from the equation. Obviously a great opportunity for whoever wins between Tampa and Toronto, if it is indeed Washington that gets through uh, in, those, uh, in that matchup. I guess we can get to, I want to talk a little bit about Calgary and Florida because they're trailing. You sort of led us into that conversation. Um, I think those are the two most surprising situations that are playing out right now. Uh, and obviously, as you mentioned, they have the chance to make it 2-2, and then we're looking at things completely differently. But I think Calgary and Florida have gotten this position in much different ways. Like Calgary's, you know, the Flames are getting outflamed right now by the Dallas Stars. Yes. And Florida, you know, they're just, they've just run into a wall here in terms of Washington putting up that wall. Washington has never really shown to be a dominant defensive team, but they have prevented Florida from doing everything that they've normally done and done throughout the entire regular season. It's, it's really quite striking what has happened to Florida through three games. And when you look at Calgary we thought, okay, it's Calgary or Colorado this whole time. What that final night of the regular season, that comeback from the Arizona coyotes could mean for these playoffs. If Calgary just can't get by Dallas because Dallas is too much like Calgary while Colorado gets to absolutely feast on Nashville in the first round. I mean, that is a huge, huge change and something that could just open the door for Colorado on the opposite side. But with Calgary and Florida, like, how do you think they've gotten to the position that, what, that they're in where they're in like a must-win scenario in game four just to even up their series after coming in as such heavy favorites? Yeah, I think the fact you outlined it well, just the defense, just for completely different reasons for each side. I mean, Florida, we've known them. We've 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 talked about how dominant their forward core is, and we kind of gave them. I don't know if it was you, but some people have given them that label where they are able to score so many goals where they can even outscore their problems. That's a label that mm -hmm. the Toronto Maple Leafs have had in the past, and they had to shore themselves up defensively. But we thought the Florida Panthers would have done enough to 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 build themselves up defensively with Ben Sherratt being acquired and Robert Haig. Like like they should be able to be able to withstand, uh, be able to hold up defensively. Just it hasn't necessarily happened yet. Uh, so, yeah, I think the fact that the Capitals probably just recognized that they were in a series where they had to shut down defensively, especially with the goaltending that they had, Vitek Vanacek and Ilya Samsonov, like those were not supposed to be world beaters in this series. They almost mm -hmm. kind of had no choice but to do that. So the Flames and the Stars, yeah, the Stars have been in a similar situation to being a defensive grinding team that's what's gotten them into the position that they're in right now. And that really was going to be the best way that they were going to be able to give themselves a chance against this, this Calgary Flames team, which can be defensive, but they have the goal scorers that they have. And that's it. The Dallas Stars have, have played this way before. They have an idea of how to go up against a team like Calgary because they are that team in a way. 
So I think defense has proven to be the biggest reasons why we're seeing Florida and, and, and Calgary behind. I don't know if it's going to stay that way, but definitely if both Florida and Calgary lose, we're talking two of the biggest upsets, if not two of the big two, the two biggest upsets of the playoffs so far, especially Florida being a president's trophy team and then losing to Washington like that, that would be catastrophic. It really is the theme to the entire playoffs so far. I mean, we all the talk coming in was all these crazy offensive totals, uh, individuals, teams putting up record numbers, but a commitment to team defense, like it always seems to be, has sort of won the day so far in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And it's been on a team like Washington to adapt, to force the issue, to force Florida to do things like, you know, have Mackenzie Weger with no one back try to skate through that first line of defense and get picked off and Obi scoring on a breakaway. And just, like it's, they've, they've, it's a rope a dope. Washington is sitting back and allowing Florida to just continuously run into the wall and then they take advantage on the counter. With Calgary and Dallas, though, it's like maybe we should have been smarter than this because they're kind of the poor man's version Dallas of Calgary in that they do a lot of the same things. They just weren't able to run up the same sort of differential in terms of scoring. Like Calgary scoring was more reliable through the, through the year, but was it reliable against a team like Dallas throughout the course of the regular season? Maybe not. I, I mean, I would have to look back at the numbers, but this is not a prolific offensive group, especially against good team defenses. And if, you can kind of maximize the variance in a series like we've seen with so little goals. If you're the one that can have Joe Pavelski having that deft tip in front and in front of the net, that's the difference in the game more often than not, because there's so little happening between these two teams. It's really just come down to bounces. And when it's down to bounces, it's really just a coin flip of a series, really the only team that's been able to take their high flying attack and win the day with it is the Colorado avalanche who are destroying Nashville Um, and that's just because Nashville has been sort of dealt a bad hand with not having their starting goaltender being a little bit beaten up. And of course, running into a team that's not just offensive. They do everything really, really well. So, uh, you know, I'm a little worried for the next round with what's going on because it's not exactly, um, a goal scoring paradise that's winning the day. Uh, it could be a lot of defensive structure in round two going up against each other, which is not the most exciting thing. Uh, so it's on teams like Florida, teams like Calgary to get back to their basics and, and win the ways that they're getting beaten right now. Yeah. Uh, just a note on that Colorado national series. Like I can't help, but wonder if UC Saros is in net, how much of a difference he makes in that series, consider how good he's much, been all be year. Honest. I mean, I understand maybe not much, but like Nashville at least gets a win and that might be enough to at least make yeah. it a little bit interesting. He might not be a Vezina candidate this year, depending on how you, you look at Shesterkin and Freddie Anderson this year. Uh, but also, like, I, I think UC Saros has been good enough where, you know, all he just needs to do is just kind of hold the forward, and that could easily swing a game the other way. Look, Connor Ingram was able to get a game to go to overtime, and Kale McCarr won it, but mm-hmm. Predators are a goal away from changing that series. Imagine if they had UC Saros in that. Uh, yeah, it might be different, but Ingram basically gave them a Saros, Saros level performance in game two, uh, oh, yeah. and it wasn't enough. Colorado can sweep away the Nashville Predators, be the first team to advance, uh, with a win Monday night is Monday when we're recording this, uh, and then Dallas and Pittsburgh and Washington have the chance to take three, one commanding series leads later on 
on Monday night. Um, let's move to a non-playoff team in the New York Islanders before we wrap things up here. Man. Firing head coach Barry Trotz. Widely regarded as one of the best in the entire league. Uh, and a guy who took a clearly a clear team, a, la- a team that clearly lacks talent on most nights in comparison to the opposition to back-to-back conference finals, five postseason series victories, I think, in the last three years after missing the playoffs the previous two seasons before he came aboard. He transformed or helped transform the New York Islanders into a Stanley Cup contender in his four seasons. And after missing the playoffs in a year where they started with a 13-game road trip, didn't play a home game for six weeks, had COVID COVID-19 ravaged them through the month of November when they were finally able to get back into their arena or back into the, into the arena for the first time. Uh, This seems like a, at best puzzling move on the, on the behalf of uh, Lou Lamorello, who looks like he's laying all the blame for a season that had built in excuses at the feet of one of the best coaches in the NHL. I just want to read a quote that's been going around. Uh, since this firing of Barry Trotz for Lou Lamorello. Uh, I just want to put this out there. Uh, Shout out to Steven Wino from the AP for tweeting out from that press conference, by the way. Lou Lamorello, did I consult with anyone on this decision? The answer is no. Did I speak to the players on this decision? No, I would never even consider thinking of anything like that. The decision is on the knowledge that I have of the experiences I've had and going forward what I think and feel is best for this group to have success. What the hell are you talking about? And I get it. Lou Lamorello, great exec, has the history, has the Stanley Cups. I understand. But to do this and not consider, you know, talking to the players about this, because I would love to know if it's one thing if the players were just like, you know what, man, Barry Trotz is not the guy. We need a new voice even if they've had the success that they've had before, then mm-hmm. at the very least you say, you know what? The locker room said this has to happen in order to get them to the next level. Fine. You'd have to do what you have to do. This just seems rather impulsive, you know, and especially the yeah. fact that this happens in the middle of the playoffs like this, this there's so much, so many things about this that just it's, it's weird. It's it. And it just kind of reeks like the wrong thing, but maybe Lou ends up being right. But Barry Trotz's track record has shown otherwise. He had the natural predators as relevant as they were under him. He goes to Washington and ends up turning the capitals into a Stanley cup champion. And for as long as, as he was with the Islanders up until this year, he had them as a competitive roster. He had them as a competitive team. They were a game seven away from going to the Stanley cup final last year. Mm-hmm. And if it weren't for that road trip to start off this year, maybe the Islanders are in the playoffs this year. 15th best record since uh, the COVID Christmas for the Islanders. So he, you know, he was able to turn this season around in some ways for the Islanders. So, yeah, I, I have to wonder if something happened behind the scenes, if Barry Trotz felt a way about certain things. Yeah, I wonder too. I wonder too about that because uh, this is twice where we've seen Barry Trotz's uh, run end in – strange ways i mean you mentioned mm-hmm. the stanley cup with the with the washington capitals it seemed like he was gone regardless of what happened in the playoffs and then they went ahead and won the stanley cup and it was like okay well we got to bring the, the coach back right but we don't want to pay him like a stanley cup winning coach so barry trost cashed in on his success and went to the islanders for a big ticket 
but maybe because this has happened twice, maybe it is a pattern. Maybe Barry Trotz is in some ways a little bit difficult to work with. And maybe this is a power trip from Lou Lamorello, but to suggest that the Islanders are better off today or moving forward than they were with, with Barry Trotz is just completely foolish because this is a guy with one of the most proven track records in the NHL, despite how his last two tenures ended, he is a superb coach and someone that the Philadelphia Flyers and Detroit Red Wings, who are looking for coaches, should have circled number one. Maybe don't even talk to anyone else. The Winnipeg Jets would be a good spot. Hell, I think the Seattle Kraken should be doing everything in their their power to get him to Seattle. Because if you want to settle the ship out on those seas in Seattle, uh, who else but Barry Trotz with a pretty talented defense corps, admittedly, that they have. I mean, he is... 10 times the coach I'd say that Dave Haxtell is uh, I would be trying to do everything in my power. If I have a vacancy right now to get Barry Trotz in there, because despite what talent discrepancy you're working against, Barry Trotz can make it up. If you are Florida and you somehow lose that first round series to Washington, are you calling Barry Trotz? Who that's an interesting question. Uh, maybe as much as I just, you know, pumped his tires we'll get to the tire pumps later. Uh, it's a, it's a different team, right? This is this mm-hmm. Florida team is like based exclusively on one thing, which is attack minded uh, uh, style of play. And Barry Trotz, if there's anyone who is maybe behind the scenes poking Lou Lamorello would be Matt Barzell because he kind of stunts creativity into a certain, in a certain, uh, to a certain degree. So if I'm Florida, maybe I'm not dying to do that, but if it's the defensive aspect, if it's structure that fails them in the first round versus Washington, Maybe you got to think about something like that. I'm not really sure. But if you're unsure about your head coach, you should be sure about Barry Trotz because he can do a job for just about anyone. That's what I'm thinking, man. I'm with you. Every team that has a coaching vacancy should be up on Barry Trotz. And it's my understanding that uh, enough of them have started to reach out to Barry Trotz. And again, uh, as I've been reiterating pretty much all day on all, pretty much every podcast or whatever show you've been hearing me on today, because I've been on a lot of shows today. Busy day today. Very busy day. Uh, Barry Trotz was due to make $4 million from the New York Islanders next season. That brother's securing the bag from whoever he coaches or whoever he's coaching next season. If he, that's what he wants to do. He out here getting this bag. You know what I'm saying? Cause he would probably have to be promised more in order to take a new job because otherwise you're just leaving money on the table. Correct. So uh, it's going to cost something to get Barry Trotz, but again, you get, what you pay for with Barry Trotz. So that's probably uh, a good thing. Um, Lesser distinguished hockey people, execs, staff members, whatever. Uh, Pierre Maguire would be considered one of them. Probably at the opposite end of the spectrum compared to Barry Trotz, even though they do opposite things. Uh, but after 10 months with the Ottawa Senators, we believe, we haven't confirmed this either through the Athletic, yeah, Sports, TSN, Sports, I haven't really seen it anywhere confirmed. Just been reported, however, that Pierre Maguire is out as I believe the senior vice president, president of uh, player development with the Ottawa senators, basically he was one half of the two Dorians. And now we just have, or the two Pierre's rather. And now we just have Pierre Dorian, at least it seems Uh, very strange. Just want, just want a slight correction here. Uh, I can confirm that the athletic has confirmed that Pierre Maguire is gone. So we have wonderful, wonderful. So Pierre Maguire is out from his post with the Ottawa senators Uh, It was a very strange decision to begin with. It's a little stranger now that they didn't see the process through, but having two Pierre's running the show seemed like a foolish idea. 
uh, and it's an idea that has now been abandoned. Thoughts? Here's what I want to know. What is Pierre Maguire's legacy as senior vice president of player development? It's not just Tyler Boucher. Is it Tyler Boucher? A lot of people like to pick the Tyler Boucher draft pick and say, that's it. Is that really it? Was that that his decision? Do we know that? That's it. I don't know. I don't think he did anything. I don't provide me with means. I don't think he did anything. Like genuinely, like the one thing that I remember vividly that I could say, okay, Pierre Maguire did during his tenure was take was that damn photo of him in the box with Pierre Dorian the giving each other fist bumps. Yeah. And we be we mean this, we mean that, I think. It's a great like, meme. When that happened. It was a yeah. great meme. But I don't know what Pierre Maguire did. I don't know if he did anything. And I, that's the question I have. Like, what legacy does he have? in that position like what 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 was it what did he really do i'm not trying to discredit what pierre Maguire, uh what knowledge he has i know we a lot of people like to make fun of him with how he deals with analytics but dude is able dude knows what daycares certain nhl players went to in their youth before they went to whatever boarding school they went to the man is smart for a reason but i don't know what this man did during the what like july minus may here not even a full year in that drop i do not know what he did yeah i don't know either so i don't know why he wasn't given the opportunity to continue on with this job other than the fact that uh eugene melnick's not around anymore obviously melnick passed two months ago uh melnick hired pierre mcguire melnick advocated it seems for pierre mcguire uh, so I wonder if this is just, hey, this is not the direction we want to go anymore. Uh, we don't need two Pierres running the show. We just need Dorian to make the decisions. But again, I don't know who's making the decisions now that Melnick isn't making the decisions. I know the franchise is stayed within the family so far, but I don't know why this decision was made, how it was made, the reason why he was brought on in the first place, the reason why he's now out. It never really made sense. I think we could try to erase this from our memories, but anything Pierre Maguire related is just far too funny to do that. So that meme will live on forever. Yeah, but even then, like, I feel like we 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 don't, I wish we would have had more time because I really feel there was just so much more potential for us to really yes, go right. through. The I mean, Pierre it could have been a reality show. Citizen. Yeah, like, like a Sense TV thing where you're just seeing like him and, and Pierre Dorian in like an elevator and they're just talking about like, like, I would love, like, a five-minute snippet of Pierre Dorian and Pierre Maguire. Oh, I funny I keep saying Dorian. is Dorian. Like, he's French. I get it. Pierre Dorian and Pierre Maguire going... No, dude. Dude, look. You're, I, I'm the guy in the French province here. I should know better. <laughs> I would just... I would pay, pay just to watch five minutes of those two guys talking about, like, either a player they want in the draft or what they think oh. about a player and how they each, what philosophies each of them have. I would pay money just to hear how that discussion would go. Better yet, wouldn't surprise me if Pierre Maguire in the coming weeks, uh, maybe not even the coming weeks, if I'm Mitch Melnick at TSN 690 in Montreal right now, who, for the, for context, Pierre Maguire spent the last how many years as the guest at 5 p.m. on the drive home show on TSN 690. If I'm mm. Mitch Melnick, the host of that show, I'm calling up Pierre and I'll be like, dude, what happened? And I'm listening to that interview and I know he's telling us everything. He's telling us what is going on. Because there ain't no, re- ain't no way 
Ain't no reason why Pierre Maguire should be the situation that he is in now after less than a year on the job. Something happened. Yeah, uh, something definitely did happen. I think Maguire unintentionally on camera would be better than Melnick intentionally on camera. I feel like him breaking down draft prospects on the draft floor uh, with just like you know, someone shooting it uh, with him not really realizing would produce as you're as you're uh, as you pointed out some pretty great content. Uh, I think it would have been hilarious if we got to see more of Pierre Maguire. I actually would have liked to see him try to improve an NHL roster. Like I wanted to see the Pierre Maguire experiment play out, but uh, we're not going to get to see that. His mark won't be an indelible one on uh, the Ottawa Senators. You got to play. Uh, you got to play. I will remember you by Sarah McLaughlin at some point in this segment, just to kind of look back at the Pierre Maguire sh- era that was. I'm sure it's on loop in Ottawa right now. Um, <laughs> let's do the tire pumps before we get out of here. I'm seeing tweets. You got like radio spots to do soon here. So let's let's get you out of here on some tire pumps. I'm going to give my tire pump to the TNT panel. Now, we've been pretty effusive in our praise of the TNT panel. It's not perfect, but it's it's growing. It was good right out of the out of the shoot. It's something that is different and we appreciate that. But I was watching the second intermission on Sunday night, so late night, LA and Edmonton, and they were just having a really basic discussion about like the difficult centerman that they played against in their careers, Tockett, Carter, Gretzky. And Gretzky starts talking about Mark Messier and somehow that conversation about defensive centers that all three of them played against turned into Wayne Gretzky explaining why they didn't wear helmets in practice, the Oilers, way back in the day, because they thought it was a good way to train themselves to keep sticks down, pucks down, and play with more responsibility. And it was something I'd never heard before, and we've heard Wayne Gretzky talk a lot, but just something so random that it started in one area and ended up in a completely random area. And it actually was something that, like, I'd never heard before, clearly learned and thought, wow, that's interesting. Like, that's not what we see generally with hockey analysis. We see, okay, 30 seconds on Mitch Marner, 45 seconds on John Tavares. Like, it's very scripted in that way. What I love about the TNT panel is that they let the conversation go where it's going to go and they have fun. So another example of why TNT is doing very, very well in their first season was just a harmless little bit that went in a very interesting way on Sunday night. So a tire pump, a continued tire pump to TNT. Shout out to them, man. They're, they're trying their absolute best to kind of replicate the success that's worked out for their NBA side and have it work for their NHL side. And, seeing the different personalities that are there every time. Uh, Got to shout out the Syracuse alum. That is uh, Liam McHugh kind of reining yep. everything in with that panel. Uh, and he's cool he's sort of reinvented himself, which I, yes. I was like, really? They're going with the NBC guy? Uh, but I, I've really, really liked what he's brought to the table as well. So good. Yeah, point. he's been pretty lax. So yeah, well-deserved tire pump for him. Uh, mine's a little bit more serious, but also a little bit uh, warm-hearted, I guess. Uh, a couple of days ago, I retweeted a tweet from uh, my Pittsburgh uh, athletic colleague, Rob Rossi, uh, mm-hmm. who's been battling a, a functional neuro- neurological disorder for, I don't exactly remember the range of time, but this was somebody who was about just year, going about their life, about a year, was just going about their life, and all of a sudden, their speech pattern was effectively just completely changed, just mm-hmm. a lot of stuttering, could barely go through full sentences, 
and they've done everything they can to battle back from that. And he put out a video uh, just before the weekend, and that's the best he's sounded, at least that's what I've seen. He's tried his best to update uh, colleagues internally just about how he's doing with the situation. He is back at work now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he also just brought up the fact that, you know, we're in mental health awareness month and uh, mental health, we're at a position in our lives now where we talk about it very openly, uh, or at least most people try to. Uh, I know there are initiatives out there where we try to entice people more and more to talk about them. Uh, But we're at a point now, I think, where we don't necessarily need to donate money to a to a charity in order to get people to go and talk about mental health i think it's something we could just talk about openly on podcasts or with their friends or it's just something that could just be part of that conversation and i can't imagine what going through what rob rossi has gone through this last year i can't imagine the toll it would have taken on his mental health so to see that he's he's seemingly in good spirits again back at work uh he's one of the better guys i mean everyone at the athletic i mean not to pump tires for another uh publication that's not yeah sports ahead, but that is the ahead. that is the home team for me but I, th- I feel pretty blessed to be a part of a at least that team specifically and that goes for everyone i work with but uh the team at the athletic is really special and also just really knowledgeable and even if i haven't met everyone personally rob rossi has always stood out as a guy who is very knowledgeable about the team and very good at his job so to see that he is back at it and uh, using his platform, not only to let everyone know how he's doing, but to let everyone know it's okay to talk about mental health. I, I think that is worth a really big tire pump. So uh, I'm going to show some praise to Rob Rossi. A worthy tire pump. And I read Rossi on Crosby leading into the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, and that's just how it should be. He should be covering that team. And I'm glad um, he's still getting that chance too. And that uh, everybody on the athletic obviously is supporting him and that he's getting better or uh, you know, that's awesome. Awesome to see that he can, um, he can get back to work and, uh, you know, hopefully start living his life as, as much as he possibly can, like it was previously. Um, we'll leave it there, buddy. Um, we're in between the game fours. It's, it's getting pretty serious. Uh, you and I will be back. I hope next weekend, but again, his scheduling thing is, is fluid. Uh, so enjoy the games. Enjoy those radio hits that you got lined up. Uh, we will oh, talk yeah. soon. We got zone time Wednesday night, so it'll be yes, sooner than later. Uh, but uh, things are getting exciting. And you and I and everybody else on the team, everybody at The Athletic, everybody in the hockey world is going to be covering this stuff as close as we possibly can. It's a fun time in the hockey world. Uh, and I can't wait to keep going. After Cheers. I did CJ show today, uh, the Barry Trotz news popped and I had to do an emergency add-on to that. After I go, I guess co-hosted the athletic hockey show with Ian Mendez. Ian broke the news to me that Pierre Maguire had been let go. Anything we're break while we're gone? That's what I'm trying. I'm looking at my Twitter right now, just wondering, did anything break? Because it's just considering how this day is gone, it wouldn't surprise me if some big news just pops up out of nowhere and we're late on that. I've just accepted that as my uh as how my Monday has gone. I guess that's the danger of producing content on a Monday. It's uh, usually we got some stuff uh, that's trickling down throughout the day. But again, we live in a real time world. We'll we'll have we'll have coverage of everything as it comes down on our channels, on Yahoo Sports, on all your platforms, on my platforms. We'll cover everything off and we'll continue to do that. Julian, appreciate you again, buddy. On a Monday. I like this. Appreciate this, too, man. Uh, Take care of yourself. I'll see you on Zone Time. Cheers, bud. Peace. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 